So the inspiration for this message series comes from a guy I haven't met, quoted in a book I haven't read. The guy's name is Noah, and the book, not even sure the title, but it comes from uh, something by Poe Bronson. Now, Noah's a young man who's being interviewed about what his life means or what his life might mean. And Noah says this. He says, I believe that everyone has a unique gift to share, and I don't want to be one of those people who dies with the music inside of them. I don't want to be one of those people who dies with the music inside of them. He wants to know that in his days on this earth, he will bring forth the life that wants to live in him and ask himself the question, as the Quaker teacher Parker Palmer does, is the life that I am living big enough for the life that wants to live in me? What Noah's really asking here is, can I be an amateur? That might sound odd to you, because very often when we hear the word amateur, we think a few things. We think unskilled, unpaid, unrecognized, perhaps unloved. Well, that's not what amateur means. The true meaning of the word amateur, the hint is given if you like things like word etymologies. The English word is amorous, amateur. It has the core roots of the word love in it. Because simply put, this is what this message series talks about. That to be an amateur is to be someone who does what they love. It is out of that place of true affection and true motivation that one does what they do. This message series is not meant to attack those of us, which is to say in one form or another, those of us who are professionals, those of us who have to work for a living or volunteer for a living. This is not meant to attack professionalism. But it is to say that the best professionals, whether it's musicians, whether it's ministers, whether it's lawyers, whether it's doctors, whether it's homemakers, whatever that profession is, the best professionals, the one who inspire us the most, the one who call forth the best that is within us, the one thing that we can say about the best professionals is that they remain amateurs at heart. They do not, in what they do, lose connection to what they love. They maintain that creativity. They maintain that source of being inspired and share it with others. And the reason this message series is called Reclaiming Your Amateur Status is that it is so easy for all of us in whatever venue in life we live to lose our amateur status. It is easy to make that short, depressing, despairing trip from living by rote to finding ourselves in a rut. Same old, same old, without inspiration or creativity or mindfulness, living simply by the tyranny of have to. Why do you do what you do? I don't know. I have to do it. That is the tyranny of obligation. And indeed, as adults, we recognize that a lot of our lives, hopefully not so much, but enough, is filled with have to's. This message series is about cultivating that want to within us. That is what true amateurism is about. See, when we recapture and hold and live out that place of being an amateur in our hearts, it has a clarifying effect. It helps us let go of the stuff that is not necessary and hold on to the stuff that truly is. I think of the image of a bicyclist in one of those races, you know, kind of the people who gets in your way, perhaps on Sunday mornings when you're racing here and they're going down the road at 50 miles an hour and you're saying, this road is not meant to be shared, but I know I have to. Thinking one of those bicyclists who is as 
sheer as an astronaut. What they're trying to do is remove the drag. What they're trying to do is make themselves as much as possible to remove the wind resistance. This is a great time of year to do this in our lives. Ask ourselves, what is the drag? What are the drags within ourselves, around ourselves, that hold down and weight down our souls? This is a moment of beginnings for many of us on the calendar, for school, for sports, and religiously as well. Some of you, perhaps like me, grew up in the Jewish tradition. This is the time of the year of Rosh Hashanah. It's time of the year of the High Holy Days. Time of the year in which the tradition says the book of life is opened. And we have an opportunity to ask ourselves, what do we want written into that book of life? Tradition might say it is an opportunity for, as the 12 steps say, inventory. A time to truly take stock of who we are and where we are in our lives so that we might perceive the drags, the things that are holding our souls down and not allowing us to share the music that is inside in each of every one of us. Tied to this is also the importance, as the high holy days end in Yom Kippur, the importance of forgiveness. The importance of recognizing that what holds down and holds in the life within us is very often the places of our resentments, of our hurts and failures and failings, or the places where we have been hurt by others, where we cannot let go. But the importance of this time of the year, whether we grew up Jewish or not, is that we recognize that it is an invitation to begin again. And we can recognize what is right here, right now, calling us forward. And so we might hope that we might remove the drag. We might recapture that part of us that wants to start over, wants to recommit, wants to recapture. Kierkegaard said, in love, everyone starts from the beginning. Just recognize that sentiment. In love, everyone starts from the beginning. That's a possibility for us. This is a good time of the year to cultivate what the Buddhist tradition calls the beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is all about recognizing that natural creativity, that natural freshness and vitality that is inside each and every one of us. It is not a mistake that we begin Youth Spirit today, and Youth Spirit, again, is not about religious education. Content is shared in Youth Spirit, but it is more about shaping, molding, bringing forth the innate spiritual character for all of our kids. And again, parents, the best thing that I can ask of each and every one of you, if you have kids in our Youth Spirit program, kids here or maybe not here, is that the best thing we as adults can give them is to share with them our own amateur status, the place in which we find freshness and vitality the most within our own lives and live from that place. One of my favorite stories about this comes from a book that I published a couple years ago. It's from a guy named Greg who decided that he would stay home with his kids while his wife worked primarily outside the home. And one of the things he recognized about himself is that he brought a lot of his overscheduled kind of life into his parenting style within his kids. And one day, he was with his young daughter, Gracie. And it was one of those days, and parents, if you see yourself in this, well, I'm sorry, I really wasn't talking about you. It was hurry up, tie your shoes, get in the house, wash your teeth, brush your face, all that kind of stuff. Wash your teeth, wash your face, you got that. It was like parenting as a little bit of General Patton, trying to organize the troops, making sure everyone is staying on target 
together. And his young daughter, Grace, who was at that point about the age of three years old, was not walking up the sidewalk to their house. Come on, Gracie. Come on, Gracie. We've got things to do. Let's get going. And she was standing there, transfixed, transfixed. And then he recognized, too, that her shoe was untied. So there's one more thing. Gracie, tie your shoe. Get in the house. Come on. Let's go. On, 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 on. But she would not budge. She kept looking down. And Greg, in a peak of frustration, went over to grab her hand and drag her back into the house. And then he recognized what she was looking at. She was transfixed by an ant carrying a crust of bread. Couldn't even be called a crust. A speck of bread about the size as the ant's body. And it was struggling. And it would drop it and would pick it back up. And it was working its way, working its way, working its way all across the sidewalk. And Greg... Once he saw that his daughter Grace, and she is so aptly named in this story, because it was a grace that he gave her, which is the opportunity that sometimes adults we forget, that anything can be a source of revelation and insight and wonder. Even an ant dragging a crumb of bread across the sidewalk. And so the two of them, with teeth unbrushed and faces unwashed and shoelaces untied, both stood there together and watched this little tiny miracle. That is beginner's mind. The ability to look upon this world and not see it by rote and not see it as obvious, but to see it as a gift for our awakening. So how do we? cultivate beginner's mind how do we cultivate that sense so it's not just the happy accidents that call us into being when we happen to just see them how do we actually cultivate beginner's mind well our answer here at wellsprings one of the primary answers is that we encourage each and every one of us to have a daily spiritual practice spiritual practice is anything that opens up reality to us on a deeper level. So we don't see it by rote. It could be that reality within your own heart, within your own mind. It could be that reality outside of yourself. But the key aspect is that we are looking at this life and not saying, been there, done that, seen it all before. This is what a regular spiritual practice helps us do. My favorite beginner's mind spiritual practice, and I practice this over and over again myself, and I've shared it with some of you before, particularly when I am feeling very, very far from beginner's mind, when I am feeling expertise mind, when I am feeling anxious mind, when I am feeling monkey mind, when I am feeling every place else but where I am right there, right then, right now, right here. Very simple. Breathe in. Asking myself the question, what am I? Breathe out. Don't know. The meaning of all of our lives is uncapped. As our tradition says, at its best, revelation is unsealed. And that includes the revelation inside of our own lives and inside of our own hearts. It is so easy to live mindlessly. It is so easy to live by rote. It is so easy to get into a rut And so our answer here at Wellsprings that we invite for all of us, and there are so many ways to do this, is to cultivate a true spiritual practice so that life does not become a thing that is obvious for you. There's a big existentialist word for that. 
when we lose touch with reality. It's called alienation or angst in the German when we have lost a sense of connection. But really, on an emotional level, losing touch is what it's like. How sad and how tragic that can be when we lose touch with the mystery and the meaning of this life. One of the ways we can cultivate beginner's mind is to get beyond that place where we insist it is just in the mind. I do not believe we can just think our way into having an amateur status. Spirituality is about more than just a thought, more than just habits of mind. And so all apologies to the great funk star George Clinton when he said, free your mind and your ass will follow. He was not quite right about that. I think it's free your mind a little bit and move your ass a little bit and open your heart a little bit. And we will find day after day after day because of the way that we're built as human beings, not just all in the mind, but in the hands and in the heart and in what we love as well, that we will change and we will cultivate the sense of beginner's mind. What we're talking about is the three sources that are talked about as the three disciplines in the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu scripture, if some of you might have read it, the discipline of wisdom, devotion, and action. The way to say it is understanding and love and behavior. Beginner's mind, beginner's heart, and beginner's hands. One of the great books that I read about this a couple years ago that really brought this home to me has kind of a pop psychology title. I really like it. It's called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. It's based on a form of therapy called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which is not that you will get to that place, if any of you, not that any of us have ever seen a therapist or a counselor before, haha. But traditional talk therapy, we might get to that place where we finally understand, finally comprehend why things are holding us back. What ACT says is that, well, no, it's not quite like that. We're not quite built like that. It works along the lines of saying, this is how we feel. Try something new anyway. Try something new with your hands. Try something new with your heart, recognizing that as we act, so, as we so are we changed about how we think about our lives. As we think about our lives, so are we changed in how we act. This is how we are built in a much more complex way than just thinking about our lives. Just thinking about our lives is a way of staying stuck, being isolated. About two months ago, I was watching a documentary about the World Baseball Classic, which was kind of, frankly, a big glorified exhibition that happened before the regular baseball season started. But in the documentary, they were talking about the final game between Japan and Korea. And if you know anything about the history about Japan and Korea, you know this was a very, very big deal. And in the bottom of the ninth, Japan, who was the home team, brought up their opportunity to win to the plate in the form of Ichiro Suzuki. If some of you follow baseball, you know that he is the amazing right fielder for the Seattle Mariners playing for the Japanese team. And when he was being interviewed after the fact, he would go on to hit the run. He would have the hit that would score the winning run. Ichiro said, when I was there at first for those first few pitches that I saw, at first all I could think about was hitting that game-winning run. All I could think about was the glory. All I could think about was the ways in which this would bring such pleasure to the people in my country. And then he said in a wonderful way in this documentary. And then I recognized those were all unnecessary thoughts. 
All those things, putting his actions out in front of himself, all the ways in which he was focusing on the outcome and not the process of doing what he is supposed to do were all unnecessary thoughts. And what came to him finally is hit the ball. To remove the unnecessary thoughts is a process, is a process of recapturing beginner's mind. To focus on what we are doing in the moment is a way of focusing on the fact that what we need is right here and right now. This process of removing the unnecessary thoughts is a challenge and a struggle for some of us, and I will cop to it particularly myself. And I want to show you how I've come to learn to deal with that you show that slide? Y'all recognize this? Y'all recognize this slide? It was during a protest against the Vietnam War, either the late 60s or early 70s. It won, uh, I believe, a Pulitzer. And you'll see with the bayonets facing this young man, he placed flowers in all the muzzles of the rifles. Now, I don't particularly want to talk about this in the context of the Vietnam War, but I do want to say the person holding the gun and the person putting the flowers in the muzzle, they are both me. In some way, and you can answer this question for yourself, they are all of us. I have lived a great majority of my life beset for reasons that I still don't quite understand, but still have started to change. I have lived my life beset by fear, anxiety, fear and trembling, whatever you want to call it. The past few years, I've started to change this on some truly deep levels. Again, not understand it entirely. I don't think I will ever understand it entirely. But this is how I explain myself to myself right now. You know, normally in this picture, we oppose the protester and the National Guardsman holding the rifle. But we can, in fact, see that at some part of ourselves, we are both. We are on both sides. The way that I have started to use in my meditative and spiritual practice, particularly when I am fearful, particularly when I am thinking, as Ichiro Suzuki said, those unnecessary thoughts, those thoughts that leap out ahead of me and rob from me natural beginner's mind or natural awe, natural wonder. You know what I say to myself? I stay, stand down, soldier. It's all right. See, because inside of me, I'm the one who put that soldier there in the first place. That soldier represents the fear. That soldier represents me wanting on a certain level to protect myself. And no doubt at one point in my life, that soldier was necessary. And instead of getting angry at the fact that sometimes the fear crops up, I say to myself now, you are there for a reason. And instead of getting angry at the fact that I am fearful again, I am going to put a flower in the barrel of your rifle. Both these things are me. And I would ask you, is it fear? Is it an addiction? Is it workaholism? Is it anger? Is it perhaps just the gnawing sense that your life is not what you would hope it to be? And perhaps that makes you angry and resentful and defensive. I would ask you in your lives, where are the places that you might, not with spite, but with love, with a beginner's heart, start to overcome the places that are holding you and dragging you down and say, I 
I'm simply going to stick a flower in that rifle and recognize that it cannot hurt me more than I might allow it to. Where is the soldier inside of your hearts that you can relieve from your post and say, stand down and move on? I want to end this morning with what's a beginner's spirit, which I think is beginner's heart, beginner's mind, beginner's hands, all put together what it sounds like, what a true beginner's spirit really sounds like. I think this is how, at the end of the day, if you have a spiritual practice, what it will bring to you more than anything else. It's an old poem of the Inuit people. It says, I think over again all my small adventures, I think over again all my fears, the small ones that seem so big. I think on all those vital things that I had to get and I had to reach. And yet there is only one great thing. There is only one thing. That is to live to see the great day that dawns and to know the light that fills this world to see the great day that dawns to see the light that fills this world this day and every other day this is to have and to know a beginner spirit and i hope that in one form or another whether it is at the beginning of the actual day with the dawn or at the end of the day when you lay down your head to go to sleep that you will recognize that this is the true thing to know the light that fills the world, to know the light that animates your life, and to cultivate and share that light amongst us all. And that way to recognize that indeed, in love and in appreciation, everyone, every day, all of us, can start from the beginning. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of timeless beginnings, of the invitation to recognize the life that is right here, right now in our presence, in silence and in music, in hope and in fear, may we build in us the capacity that knows that life's invitation does not go away, but here in every season. Here in every hour, here in every minute is that beckoning voice calling us to enter more fully into this reality, to shape it, to share it, to nurture ourselves, to nurture others, and to recognize that this creation, blessed, full, painful, so many things, is finally this, it is not finished. May we live in the light of this great wisdom. Amen.